Our reading today is Exodus 3, 1 to 6. Um, I'm going to read this and then we'll sing um, Here I Am before Tim comes to preach to us. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire and within a bush. Moses saw and thought that the bush was on fire. It did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over there and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for this place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Moses found the presence of God's majesty on Horeb, the mountain of God. We don't know where it is. We don't even know why it's called the mountain of God. Was it known as the mountain of God before Moses had his vision of the burning bush there? Or did the mountain get its name because that was the place where the Lord met Moses? We just don't know. Did Moses travel to the mountain just because he was looking for a suitable place to graze his father-in-law's flock? Or had Jethro, who was a priest, told Moses that there was something special about that mountain. Maybe even that it was a holy place. Again, we don't know. It's the first mention of Mount Horeb in the Bible. What we do know is that on this particular day, for whatever reason, Moses found himself in strange and unfamiliar territory. He'd not been here before not been here before physically, he'd not been here before spiritually either. Different translations put his location in different ways. He went to the far side of the desert. He went beyond the wilderness. He went to the west side of the wilderness. He went across the desert. All we know is that Moses found himself in a place he'd never been before. And when he was there, something extraordinary caught his attention. A bush on fire. But the bush itself was not consumed by the flames. Without something to burn, a fire goes out. When something burns, it is consumed by the flames and changes state. But this fire wasn't consuming anything. The bush was alight, but not burning away. Rather like Moses being intrigued by the sight of the flames, I found myself sufficiently intrigued to do a little bit of reading about fire. What is fire precisely? I should just ask Josh, shouldn't I? Apparently fire is the visible effect of the process of combustion. It's a special type of chemical reaction. It occurs between oxygen in the air and some sort of fuel. That fuel must be heated to its ignition temperature for combustion to occur. 
The reaction will keep going as long as there is enough heat, fuel and oxygen. That's what helps me get a handle on precisely what was so strange about what Moses saw. This fire had no fuel because the bush wasn't being burned up. Without anything being combusted, this fire was emitting light energy and heat energy. In other words, taking what Moses saw at face value, this fire was not a blaze that conformed to the laws of chemistry and physics as we understand them. And it's one of those things that you more you try and get your head around it, the more incomprehensible it becomes. Unless you just take the easy option and say, it's God. Fire is a manifestation of the presence of God and that God rather than the sun is the ultimate source of all our energy. I don't know, I'm not a chemist or a physicist, but I do know that fire is something you can't touch safely. Something you need to stay away from. So it is a perfect symbol for the holiness of God. As Moses himself discovered when he turned aside to investigate what was going on. And as he approaches the fire, he hears a voice calling his name. And with remarkable presence of mind, instead of running a mile, he says, here I am. And the voice tells him not to come any closer. He's to take his shoes off, because the place where he is standing is holy ground. It's as if he's already come too close and crossed some hidden barrier that separates the holy from the profane. We're not told that Moses actually did this, but it's safe to presume that he did so. There is something dangerous, something unsafe about holiness. You approach holiness rather as you might approach the edge of a precipice with extreme caution. The safest thing to do is to keep your distance and stay well away from the edge. Because if you fall off, that'd be it. I almost want to say you take your life in your hands, which is a curious way about talking about approaching something dangerous. I guess the idiom derives from the idea of taking your life out of a safe and secure place and carrying it in your hands to a location where it would be easy to drop it and lose it. You come to the edge of a precipice, you take your life in your hands. You come into the presence of the Holy God. And it's not really about taking your life in your hands to do that. It's about recognising that your life is in his hands. You are entirely dependent on his mercy. Moses was. He'd blundered into the holy zone with his sandals on, bringing dirt and sheep muck and who knows what else into the holy presence of God. Those shoes needed to come off to show respect, to show humility, which is the least you can do in the presence of the living God, the creator of the universe. There is nobody else like you as we sang at the beginning of the service God had mercy on Moses his life was spared, he was safe but he found his encounter with God in his holiness to be profoundly overwhelming and if you've ever bumped up against holiness you'll know that it is an overwhelming experience. 
Rudolf Otto used the word numinous to describe what it's like to be aware of the awesome presence of the Holy God. We capture it sometimes in moments of worship or prayer. He said the experience had three components, which are often designated with a Latin phrase, mysterium tremendum et fascinans. As mysterium, the numinous is wholly other, completely and utterly different from anything else we experience in ordinary life. Moses was just shepherding the flock and suddenly there's this whole other dimension there that he becomes inescapably aware of. It evokes a reaction of silence and awe. It's an ex- a mysterium tremendum. It actually provokes a sense of terror because it is such an overwhelming power in the face of which you are helpless, sometimes physically trembling. A sense of being overwhelmed by something so much bigger and greater and more powerful and awesome than we could ever be. And finally, it's fascinance. Merciful and gracious. Somehow, despite the danger, we are welcomed and accepted and we're led to worship in awe and in wonder. That pretty much sums up how Moses felt as he covers his face because he's too scared to look at God. God introduces himself to Moses as the God of his father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. This is the God who called Abraham while he was in Haran and called him to travel to a land that he promised to give to his descendants when at that stage Abraham had no son to call his own, nor did he have a son for decades afterwards until eventually Isaac was born. And Isaac's son, Jacob, he was, the learned who tr- he was the one who learned to trust God while he was living away from home with his wily uncle Laban back in Haran again. With the birth of Isaac and of Jacob and his sons, God was making good to his, in his promise to Abraham that he would be the father of a great nation. But the promise that they would have a land to call their own, that part of God's promise remained unfulfilled. But the Lord introduces himself to Moses as the God of Abraham, the one who was called by God, the God of Isaac, the first step in the fulfilment of that promise, the God of Jacob, where suddenly there are 12 sons. This is the God who is faithful. This is the God who remembers the covenant that he made with these men. Jacob's son Joseph had died, reminding his brothers that God would come and help them leave Egypt and go to the land he'd promised on oath to give the descendants of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And now this God has come back onto the scene again, centre stage. How much did Moses know of all this? The way God describes himself is a bit unexpected. You might expect him to say to Moses, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac and of Jacob. But that's not actually what he says. I am the God of your father, he says. The God of Abraham, of Isaac and of Jacob. 
That singular noun father can't refer to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because there were three of them. The phrase God of your father can really only refer to Moses' father, who up until this moment in time has played such an insignificant part in the story, just getting a passing mention as the man who married Moses' mother, the woman who worked so hard to keep Moses safe. Yet here, the Lord says, Moses, I'm the God of your father. I'm the God your father worships. This man from the house of Levi was a man who honoured God, who knew God. And although he doesn't feature in this story and actually does nothing of note at all, God knew this man's faith and is prepared to identify himself to Moses as the God of his father. And then an age where some of the old stories about God were being forgotten, when lots of people weren't really sure who God was anymore, Moses' father had unobtrusively kept the faith. And while he's totally eclipsed in the narrative by his wife, I can't help wondering how much her husband's faith was a source of strength to Moses' mother as she found ways of taking care of her son. So the voice from the burning bush identifies the speaker as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, and the God of Moses' father, but not Moses, I'm your God. doesn't say that to him at this point in time. It may be the case, actually, that the Lord wasn't Moses' God yet. True, Moses belonged to him. The Lord had preserved his life and had big plans for this man. But had Moses yet made his own decision whether to adopt the faith of his father, made his own decision to make this God his God, to dedicate his life to God. It's a decision we all have to make sometime. Faith needs to be personal. It can't be inherited. Just because our dad believes in God doesn't mean to say that we belong to God automatically. If we've been brought up in a Christian household, each of us needs to decide for ourselves, am I going to make my father's God my own God? It's a decision we need to take. For Moses, that encounter was quite dramatic, a long way from home on God's mountain, seeing a burning bush, hearing a voice calling his name, and being suddenly uncomfortably aware that he was in the presence of the holy God. If you've not made the holy God your own God yet, that's a decision still to be taken. Just be aware that God will at some point make himself known to you. May not be as dramatic as it was with Moses, but God's there and he knows you and one day he will appear to you and speak to you. And you'll know who he is. For Moses, it was just when he was doing his everyday job in an unfamiliar place, suddenly he had an encounter with God that changed his life forever. That voice calling him from the bush, Moses! Moses! And his response was to say, here I am. It's the response God looks for. Here I am. Abraham, tested by God, told to offer his son Isaac as a sacrifice. God calls him, Abraham, he says, here I am. 
He's told what he has to do. When the drastic moment comes and Isaac is bound on the altar and Abraham is ready to make the sacrifice, the voice comes again, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replies. His attention is directed to a ram in the thicket. That is the animal that must be sacrificed. Isaac is never said to have heard the call of God or to have responded in that way. Though Abraham's response to God's call had potentially devastating, even lethal consequences for him, his life was on the line, whether he was a passive victim or a willing participant in these proceedings. His life was completely in God's hands. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Jacob heard the voice of God. He tells his wives how God spoke to him in a dream, saying, Jacob, here I am, he answered. God introduces himself as the God of Bethel and tells him it's time to go back to his home country. Much later, God speaks to Israel in a vision at night. Jacob, Jacob, here I am, he replies. This time the message is that Jacob should not be afraid to go down to Egypt because God will surely bring him back again. And the next time God calls someone's name, it's Moses, Moses. And Moses responds, here I am. It's time for God to make good on his promise to Jacob to bring his family home, bring them out of Egypt. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of Moses calls by name. The response is, here I am. There will be a moment when you hear God calling your name. It may be like an audible voice. Maybe in a service like this when suddenly something clicks into place and you realise that the God of your Father is calling you to make him your God. Or it may be that you're reading your Bible or listening to a sermon and suddenly you know without a shadow of doubt that this passage from the Bible, this message from the pulpit is for your ears. And God is speaking directly and personally to you, calling you by name. How do you respond? Here I am. What do you want me to do? Or maybe like Abraham or Jacob, you've walked with God for a while, but there's a new direction he wants you to take, something different, some change in the direction of your life. He will call you if he wants you to do something different. Your answer, here I am. Here I am. Let's be quiet for a moment. Lord, it took a burning bush to get your attention. Moses is not really aware of you, the God of his Father. And our lives are so full of things, sometimes it's hard for you to get our attention. when that moment comes and you call our name, may we hear clearly. And give us the grace and the courage to say, here 
I am. You are holy. We are sinful. Thank you, despite that, you welcome us. You forgive us. And you use us flawed human beings as we are to realise your purposes. Lord, when you call, help us to be prepared to say, here I am.